Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Matt Penny is here. And oh boy, we have the we have the perfect college basketball culture war bullshit thing to talk about. Because uh, Jalen Johnson has decided to opt out of Duke's final six games, plus a potential ACC tournament, depending on if conference tournaments are going to happen. By the way, isn't it crazy, Matt, that we are February 16th? And we don't totally know what the deal is with conference tournaments. No, it's kind of like fly by night. Like, yeah, it's up to the conferences. The conferences are like, yeah, I don't know. I think we'll do them, but we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, it just feels like at some point we need to figure these things out. Uh, at least we know that there's going to be an NCAA tournament in Indiana, but we digress. We're going to talk about Jalen Johnson here for a little bit, and then we're going to talk about Sharif Cooper and just an update on the G League Ignite guys. So the reason that I feel like this Jalen Johnson story has taken over the consciousness is because like, it's like such an American story right now. Right. Like we have all of these older, like frankly white dudes that have this entitlement that essentially are saying he's a quitter and all this bullshit right and essentially you're just trashing a kid publicly for deciding that he doesn't want to play basketball anymore and there's like and there's a foot injury perspective here as well that i I, look i don't know what's going on with the foot injury we've all heard rumors at this point of what the severity of the foot injury is in terms of like we don't we don't know right it's possible that it's really hurt it's possible it's not really hurt right I, I don't, I don't know what's going on there. Essentially, they're pointing to the foot injury and then wanting to, um, get it to full health. Great. Sounds awesome. I'll talk about why that is a little bit confusing for me in a second, but I digress again. Um, there's that side with all of these older established media who are comfortable with the status quo where these kids don't get paid and essentially are lucky to be on scholarship and get their form of payment that way. And then there's this other side, which I think probably consists mostly of progressive people who want to see change within the college basketball industry who are like, why are we attacking a kid for making this choice to stop playing college basketball in the middle of a pandemic year for an eight and eight Duke team. And here's, (laughs) I guess that like, I see both perspectives of this and I understand both perspectives of it. I certainly fall on not fucking trashing a kid, right? That's 19 years old. And we don't know what's going on in his personal life. We don't know what's going on period. Right. Um, Maybe, maybe, take a step back and not trash that human being. But I also think that it is kind of a shitty thing to do your teammates, right? Like to potentially leave them in the lurch. But on the other hand, how close is he with his teammates? Because I feel like one thing that goes under discussed this college basketball season is that, you know, Jalen Johnson didn't get to campus until sometime in August. Right. And didn't get to establish that rapport with his teammates, guys aren't hanging out on the road as much uh duke particularly i know has like a very stringent covid protocol jalen johnson might not have even gotten a chance to like really establish a rapport with his teammates right so it's all very complicated and i'm just gonna pitch to you matt like i i just don't i don't understand why we need to trash kid but i also don't uh i don't think this was the right call for reasons that we'll discuss i'm sure yes there 
how to how to jump off on this. I think it's okay to be kind of Sweden neutralish too in this, right? Like, I don't think you have to be all the way he's a quitter and all the way he did the best business decision. I think well, you're probably more well, business Penny, decision e like that side. I, I know that you're new in the media, so I'm gonna I'm just gonna give you a little hint. This is this is a it's takesman one or the other. Yeah, this is a takesman yeah. profession. Yeah, it clearly. It, <laughs> It clearly is a takesman <laughs> profession. And and you know what the good thing is about us and, and you being in Australia is like this happened last night and we we're texting about it late. And it was like, you know what? We we have a day to like digest. We don't have to like fire off the, the hot takes immediately and we can think about this a little bit. I'm totally with you on there could be a lot more stuff going on. I mean, with with COVID, with the pandemic, teams are living out of hotels. You're not seeing other people. I mean, uh, back in my day, when we were at UMass, when we had winter session, it was just us in the campus hotel. And, like, look, it, it is kind of barren. There's not a lot of action, not a lot of stuff you can do. So does your mind wander and go other places, especially if you're not playing good basketball and maybe hurt? Sure. Just from a basketball perspective, though, if you take this thing piece by piece, just kind of from the beginning at Duke, I didn't always love the Duke fit, especially stylistically. And I, and I kind of felt similar to Trayvon Duvall when he committed. I just didn't feel like their games necessarily fit what they were trying to do. His final four also had Kentucky, Arizona, Wisconsin. You could probably argue that any of those may have been a little bit better fit for Jalen's game. When he gets to Duke, and we, we saw from the jump, he had to play up front a lot. He had to play in the front court and not enough on the wing where he may be better suited and clearly he wanted to play. The last four games, his minutes have dwindled. He had 26 uh, minutes and a, and a loss to Miami, 24 minutes and a loss to North Carolina, 15 minutes and a loss to Notre Dame. And the, his last game, he had eight minutes and a win versus NC State, where he went 0 for 2 from the field. And Duke probably played their best basketball of the year, or at least for a, a month and a half. The jumper isn't really getting better, even though he was 8 for 18 from 3. He was 63% from the free throw line. I just haven't necessarily bought in on the form completely. I mean, I talked to a college coach early in the year who said he watched him warm up pregame and he missed a dozen shots in a row. I know the kid, just like most in this one-and-done era and age, you have these unbelievable expectations that if you don't achieve what you've been built up to do right away, it's a failure. And you've seen some guys like Terrence Clark and, and others has been rumblings about shutting it down to kind of protect their draft stock. I just don't love it that he did it with whatever, like you said, six or eight games left of the year and shut it down completely. And, and I don't want to say bailed on his teammates, but still a part of the team. I mean, Terrence Clark is still there on the bench. I, I don't envision that for Jalen Johnson based on what we've heard. You hope the kid figures it out. I mean, he just turned 19 years old. He'll be, I believe, 20 this year. But it's, um, I did think it was interesting based on we started the year, or I did anyway. I mean, you kind of had him, I think, 10th or 11th, like 17th and 11th. I thought he's more like a top seven guy, and, and that slid down. I, I'm really curious to see how this affects his NBA draft stock in the long run. Well, I think that, yeah, we should not expect to see him that around Duke, first and foremost. Uh, our Brandon Marks at The Athletic reported that He's cleaned out his locker by Monday afternoon and conveyed to the team that he will not be returning. Right. So I, I think we should assume that we're not going to see Jalen Johnson on the sidelines like Terrence Clark. So he, he is bailing. He, he is leaving. Yes. Right. That's fine. I think I, I guess like I, I don't I don't know where to go. I don't know where to go with this because on one hand, like I think these kids should be able to make 
real decisions, right? And be able to do what they want to do. We need to give these kids more empowerment than what they currently get. Um, having said that, like if I was advising Jalen Johnson, I would not have opted out. Like, and I would not have just like straight up dipped from Duke because even if I personally believe that these kids should be able to make these choices, right? And we shouldn't like trash them publicly for it. It's kind of undeniably like a bad move, right? Like, I'm sure you've talked to NBA executives like I have. And like, there's a real question about this whole thing, right? Like it just opens up Jalen. It opens up Jalen Johnson to more and more scrutiny by just up and leaving Duke. Uh, This is a guy that if I remember correctly, left his first Wisconsin high school to go play for a better team, went to Nicolette, won a state title and then transferred to IMG, Mm -hmm. never played a game at IMG under pretty curious circumstances before leaving within like a year or half of a year right yeah half a year not even yeah he didn't play a game yeah yeah and then transfers back to nicolette for like the last nine games nine games yeah yeah so there's already a perception within nba front offices of what do we need to learn about jalen johnson how do how do we go about getting the intel that we need about jalen johnson this just opens that up even more whenever you see a guy just totally leave like this in a real way. If I was advising Jalen Johnson, I would say, look, tell Duke that your foot hurts. Go be on the sideline. Go cheer your team on. Go like do everything that you can to support them. Because unfortunately, your perception in front offices is that you might be like kind of a guy who dips out when things get tough. And I'm not saying that's fair. It's probably unfair to be honest, but a lot of NBA teams have that perception of him. And a lot of NBA scouts have that perception of him. So like one NBA scout brought up to me and I like wrote this is that, you know, the reason that Duke and Jalen Johnson in their dual announcements together said that he was leaving was uh, due to the foot injury. If it's really due to the foot injury, isn't he going to get better medical care at Duke than he is like anywhere oh, Duke else? Medical, yeah, Duke Medical is up there as, as some of the best in the country, if I'm not mistaken. Right. So, and look, like I totally understand that there could be different incentives for Duke doctors. But if Jalen Johnson goes to them and says like, look, guys, my foot really hurts. I don't think I can play right now. Let's figure out what this problem is. I'm not going to play the rest of the year. I don't think Duke is just going to be like, no, we're not going to help you in this circumstance because a, we like to think of Mike Krzyzewski as like a benevolent person who cares about kids and B they're incentivized to help Jalen Johnson figure this out because it helps them with recruiting down the road. At the end of the day, they don't want to get trashed for just like leaving Jalen Johnson hanging. Right. So I don't know that I buy the excuses to why he's, this is the only reason that he's leaving, right? Like, I'll say that. No, I don't buy it either. But it's tough because they're having a losing season. If they were winning and whatever, they're projected three seed, they're not a one seed, they're not what they normally are, maybe that's a different story. But, okay, if this kid's a projected lottery pick, which I, which some people have, and I'm I'm looking forward to updated mock drafts and see how this may impact him, at least, at least initially, lottery teams lose. So, like... Say you get drafted 10th. How many games are you going to win in an NBA season 
for the 10th team. Like right. 30, maybe? Like, okay, so so it's getting difficult, and now you have this reputation of shutting it down or, or maybe packing it up. That would be one of my biggest concerns. So he's doing it now when Duke doesn't really need, like, another guy kind of saying, like, yeah, I, I can't do this right now, and, and coming off a win against NC State, who's been up and down, but there's some momentum, like, all right, we're playing better basketball, and oh, yeah, now, like, our, our star recruit is leaving. I thought right away was, okay, he's opted out. This has become something that's very prevalent in college football with bowl games, right? Yep. Guys finish the year. If they're not playing for the national championship or, or part of that Final Four or such, they'll they'll opt out. Teammates don't love it, but NFL GMs understand. It's like you're, you have your future of a game that means nothing. Fine. There's been other guys that have done this differently. Like Markel Fultz, when he was at Washington, they lost seven in a row in February, and he shut it down. He had like some some minor injuries or whatever, shut it down, still goes first. Even LaMelo Ball, I mean, I know he got injured in the NBL, and you know better than me, but after 12 games, he got injured said, you know what, shutting it down, heading back. Terrence Clark shut it down. We, we've talked about that on the program. The guys that have come back and maybe hurt their stock, we've talked about Cole Anthony at length, but he toughed it out, played through an injury. Team wasn't great, probably cost himself a little bit of money. Unfortunately, just got hurt again in the NBA. He'd be out some time, but it would be playing well for the Magic. Other one that jumps out is Michael Porter Jr. He plays November 10th. He's injured playing two minutes. He comes back again March 8th, and he plays two games. He goes 9 for 29 for the field, 6 or 17 from 3. I don't think his interviews did him any help either, but yeah, slides uh, and there, there's back issues. So hold on, hold on. And then yeah. you have like a, a net neutral guy. <laughs> Like Kyrie was at Duke, he came back for four games after being out for three months. So you've kind of seen the ebbs and flows of the whole thing. And there's also background stuff you'd obviously have to dig into. But putting a bow on this, it's like, is this more of a trend of something going forward? Or do you think this year is so crazy and such an anomaly within our <laughs> really society, but college basketball, that we're kind of giving guys a little bit of a pass? Like, there's too much going on in the world right now to really think more than what this may be on the surface level yeah to me context is just what always matters in these circumstances right like cole anthony fought and tried to come back and by the way like cole anthony was a guy that as i'm sure you know we talked about it like front office has had some concerns about cole anthony like in regard to like selfishness and maturity and stuff like that him returning i think kind of helped him a little bit in helping those fears right uh i think that actually i I can i can see that kind of said a lot about it um the problem with cole was that when he was on the court he wasn't great last year he still goes 15th though which i think is more of a statement on where they were as a team in his contextual situation and frankly who he is as a player than it is like his injury and then returning and coming back but like i think that he probably raised his draft floor a little bit by returning and coming back. Uh, Cole Anthony helped himself by doing that, in my opinion. Um, at least if you, and like, I'm sure you talked to scouts who felt that way too, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it did say a lot about him because you and I and other people heard similar rumblings. Like when he went down after a week or two, it was like, yeah, he might be done. Like this might be it. Yeah. But he's still on the sidelines. He was being a great teammate, cheering his guys on, posting social media of him doing his best bench mob impersonation and high-fiving guys and, and rallying people up so like 
I don't think that really was an act. Like, he wanted to be a part of the team and, and came back to represent his school. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think that the North Carolina fan base as well, like, they embrace Cole Anthony now. Like, they, they like Cole Anthony <laughs> because he's the guy who came back. Um, again, though, like, that doesn't necessarily put immediate zeros in your bank account, right? Uh, no. Like, Jalen Johnson coming back and playing well. I think that like a soft shutdown was probably the right move here. If you're Jalen Johnson, like say like, Hey, look guys, my foot has been hurting for a while now. I'm going to be around the team. I'm going to um, do the best that I can. And if I feel better at some point, I will absolutely try to play. If we make an NCAA tournament run, like I'm here to try and play. I want to be around the team and then just kind of doing it as like a soft shutdown. Right. Like, and not play at the end of the day. And that sounds duplicitous, but it's something that I think would actually kind of help the perception here, right? Yeah. It And also, it's just become this thing where guys release their statements and you have a graphic of you playing and, and here's a joint statement from the school. So it, it just lends more questions. And I think that's what kind of the media jumps all over. Like, okay, well, these statements came out at the same exact time. They're kind of saying the same thing. They're saying it's the foot, but is it really the foot because he left before? And you open yourself up for far more criticism when there's already questions about your jump shot and be able to play in the half court and your vision outside of home run assists. So it just doesn't help his his stock. And, and you can bounce back a little bit, but guys are really going to have to dig. And that's why there's scouts and people specifically dedicated on NBA staffs to find out the real story and the behind-the-scenes stuff that the general public and a lot of times the general media – doesn't have access to right a hundred percent like rothstein had that viral tweet and like i'm i really don't mean this is like a bag on rothstein thing as you'll see in a second but he like called jalen johnson a quitter and like to me look like i'm never gonna do that to a kid right like that's just not what i'm about um and john did it whatever but there's like a real substantial like population of nba executives and scouts you better believe who feel the same way John Rothstein does. Like that uh, is no a question. And, and and if you read, if you click on that that tweet, and like this morning it had like tens of thousands of of, of likes and and retweets, and it was two sentences, and I was like, this is kind of wild. But it's very split. Like there there's a camp saying this kid's lottery no matter what. He made a business decision. There's a ton of people saying he's a quitter. He left his team. I don't think it's like a, an easy decision or or split i guess between people who think one way or another and then on top of it it's also worth kind of diving into now are we sure he's a lottery pick because i'm not Uh, i've never been super convinced of jalen johnson though as a player i i'll just kind of ask you i mean like i i have some real concerns like what what do we make of the two and a half months that jalen johnson was at duke Uneven, inconsistent, didn't know what you're going to get. I mean, there's probably two or three games, two and a half games where it all made sense. But those last four that I rattled off when he's playing 20 minutes or less, like it really didn't look great. And I don't know yeah. if that was part of the foot injury. Maybe it is. Maybe he didn't have that same explosiveness. Maybe he's in his head, was overthinking a shot. But I'd be a little worried if I'm a lottery team and, and he's there on the board. Like, is this the guy just put all this stuff aside like put all the the leaving duke stuff aside is this game going to translate to what we're doing and and we've said in a wide open system and, and getting up and down guys have more opportunities to not be shut down in half court but 
without the jumper being a weapon at his size, guys are just going to give him a ton of space and like he's going to have to make some decisions off the bounce. And, and that has also been uneven where he kind of jump past a little bit or he get in the lane and not know what to do. So it's also unfortunate because you wanted to see hopefully him at more toward 100% and playing in some of these games down the stretch so you have a, a greater body of work to to base on. Because also on Twitter, somebody tweeted, I don't remember who it is, somebody wrote, this is why kids should be able to go from high school to the pros. It's like, well, is it? Because if we did, he probably would have went like 7th or 8th. And now we got to see his play this season and it's like i don't think he'd go seventh or eighth right now maybe i'm wrong but i it doesn't like pop out that like he's still in that range well from like the kid's perspective like yeah this is why a kid should be able to go pro because he would have gotten more money probably had he been able to um so the on the court stuff yeah i did not love his game this year uh I thought that he was not as willing defensively as we would like to see unless he was able to go and chase a big block because Matthew Hurt got beat or something like that. Uh, could he make like the very loud rotation, right? Um, if not, like his closeouts were fucking piss poor. Like he was. Yeah. yeah. No, there's, <laughs> like, there's some bad highlights of him or lowlights, I guess, of, of him closing out, not chopping his just blowing by and just looking at him after he goes by him like, ah, man, <laughs> yeah, right. I know, like go get him. So the defense was bad. Like, I actually think he has a chance to be a good defender because I tend to think that these guys that have like very high basketball IQ, which he does, like he does think the game at a high level. I think that they can, I think that they tend to think the same level on defense as well and thus can turn it around with effort level improvement. Right. So I think the defense has a chance to be fine. He was a bad defender at Duke though. I'm like a little sneaky more worried about the offense, given that the offense is so much more a part of his game. Like Duke played fairly up tempo. Like it's not like they were one of the fastest teams in the country, but they weren't a slow team. And he didn't quite take advantage of those opportunities in the way that you would hope. On top of it, like there wasn't really a reason for him to be as inconsistent in half court settings as like a driver and as a playmaker as what you would see, like he was playing the five where he should actually have like a monster advantage. Right. Right. Yeah. And Duke, like when he was on the court, Duke shot 37% from three around him. So like, this isn't a Cade Cunningham situation where like Oklahoma state has no spacing around him playing three non shooters. Like teams mostly close out on Jeremy Roach, DJ Stewart, Matthew Hurt, Joey Baker, um, you know, Wendell Moore, not really, but like, it's not like Wendell Moore is like terrible, although he was to start the year. Um, like there was space to operate in the clip that I've said this before, but like, I can't get out of my head that like he had like a little semi transition opportunity to take on Kofi Coburn one on one and like Kofi Coburn like slid and stopped him. And I think that the way that you can do it with him is because. Jalen Johnson's handle is a little bit too loose right now for what he thinks it is. And it's harder for him to get places than what you would think at the end of the day. So I got to find that clip because you you keep going back to it. I got to find it because it's like tattooed on your memory right now. (laughs) I I will send it to you. Uh, I'll send it to you right now as we speak. Well, I texted it to you. (laughs) Let's see. I have on do not disturb. So don't get blown up by 700 group chats, but, uh, the, also, like a, a little ironic too, is the NBA, as we've talked about ex- 
defensively, has gone more positionless type basketball where guys that are six eight six nine can play center and play in the wing. And and I'm still an advocate, and we do this the mock draft exercise of of taking these guys who have some versatility can play in the wing yep. or maybe guard up the lineup. So I feel there there's been a, a little bit of a shift back from guys not caring about being on the floor. It's like RJ Hampton had that quote last week of like there's two positions on the floor, off the floor. And like, you know, all, all the old heads are like, yeah, that's right. You're on or you're off it. But it's true in that like you just got to get out there. And if you play the five at six, eight, six, nine, like it can be an advantage. You can take guys off the dribble. You can have these mismatch opportunities where he just didn't take advantage of it as much as you really should have. Yeah. And, I totally agree with that. I sent you this clip. I want you to watch it while I'm talking. Yeah, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. We got to read um, this. The, the have, name of the clip is Jalen Can't Beat Kofi. Like, this is just disrespectful. Um, I mean, so, it's true. I'm, I'm watching. He can't beat him, but like, the, the, the it's fact a problem, that that's right? Name is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like for his game to work, like, the name that always comes up with Jalen Johnson is Ben Simmons. Right. Because six foot nine playmaker, uh, really great court vision, great size. Frankly, like I think the fact that they kind of look similar to each other kind of, you know, makes that comparison happen for white people. Right. Um, this is like <laughs> a real you're anti old white media right now today. Well, no, this is like a real thing that Daryl Morey no, I, and I know. Yeah. Michael Lewis have written about before. Prospects that look like one another in terms of skin tone, in terms of like style of play, tend to be conflated for one another. And uh, if uh, I forget what the book is, I think it's The Undoing Project. If you want to go read yes. that chapter with uh, Daryl Morey, it's really great. I would suggest everyone does it that wants to get into evaluation. Um the thing with Jalen versus Ben is that Ben has that ability to essentially get downhill from a standstill because he's so athletic. Jalen can't do that. Now, having said that, it's really hard to find guys that are six foot eight who have this kind of passing ability, this kind of feel for the game, this kind of uh, just overall like body control, right? It's difficult to find guys this size with this many gifts. He really has a chance to be an NBA starter if the skill level improves. And skills are things that you can improve. The problem is just right now, he can't play on an NBA court, I don't think, given what we saw. No, and Ben Simmons at, at LSU, I just pulled it up, basically 20, 12, and 5. Like, we didn't get that every night. And that team wasn't very good, and, and that's fine. And he had his own issues off the court there and stuff, too. But being... Whatever yeah. on the same page. Ben, ben Simmons is he, he was a lot issues. More <laughs> ben Simmons is issues off the court. Did not give a fuck about college basketball. <laughs> the hot take machine keeps on burning. The fire that will not stop burning. Uh, yeah, that that was part well, of it. Wait, wait, wait. But but he, it's not even a hot take. Like he, there's a documentary about Ben Simmons where he said he didn't uh, even care. It. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When he, he had like a triple double, walked to the locker room. He's like, yeah, okay, we play again tomorrow. Uh, but with. <laughs> Ben, look, those numbers are are like ridiculous still in the SEC, and and you're the the main guy that scouting reports are going after, and they know that you're going to have the ball in the highest usage rate on the team, and and he could still put up those numbers. Like with Jalen, you just you started fist pumping when he does it again against Pittsburgh. It's like okay, maybe here we go again, and then the next game it's not there. But yes, as six eight, six nine, six ten wings, they don't just come around every once in a while. I'd be shocked if he falls out of the first round. I I 
really am. He's the guy now, and, and we'll talk about another one a little bit. I'm really excited to see kind of which team is like, you know what, we're going to take a we're going to take a flyer on him. And just to kind of wrap this a little bit, Ken Palm had a great tweet on Jalen Johnson that my buddy Rafi sent to me. He said, don't yeah. worry, Jalen Johnson fans. You can still cheer on Wake Forest Jalen Johnson or Mississippi State's Jalen Johnson or Alabama A&M's Jalen Johnson or UIC's Jalen Johnson. It's the best. There are so many Jalen Johnsons. Shout out Jalen. Uh, Jalen Rose is taking credit for all of these Jalen Johnsons existing, by the way. Uh, that, 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 that might not be bad if you do do the math on it too yeah, no jalen rose has a theory that like he is the reason why all of these people are now named jalen there it's uh, like a I real I think it's too far off yeah it's a real thing um i'm excited for when the tide turns back to jalen johnson was actually good in college because it's gonna happen by people who don't watch tape and just look at the numbers because Jalen Johnson has a 58 true shooting percentage, 25 defensive rebounding rate, a 20 assist rate, a 6% block rate, a 3% steal rate, and shot 44% from three. I guarantee you that at some point, we're going to hear from people who don't watch tape and just look at that stat line and go, oh, Jalen Johnson was great at Duke. What are you talking about? And it's going to drive us fucking crazy. It's going to happen. I'm telling <laughs> yeah. you. Well, well, uh, look, we, we drove, we drove ourselves crazy last draft cycle because there was so much time between the draft that like you go rewatch games and your mind starts playing tricks on you. Like, no, maybe it was wrong. Maybe like Anthony Edwards didn't force as many shots. Maybe like the D and it's like, ah, no, not really go back. But yeah, if you just look at kind of the numbers on paper and if you just watch clips of stuff and you just watch highlight tapes and don't see the, the whole story, I could see that yep. narrative kind of spinning its way back. Yeah. Um, do we have anything? Uh, if you were asking to give a draft range right now, which you kind of brought up a little while ago, I would be surprised to see him get out of the first round. I, I put 11 yes. to 35 in the prospect, in the okay. project that I did with Brendan Marks earlier. Um, I, I think it's wide. And like someone in the comments was like, Oh, 11 to 35. What a leap, Sam. And it's like, well, <laughs> look, yeah. there are a lot Edge of questions City. here. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and like narrow it down to say, Oh, he's going 10 to 15. Right. Cause that's just not a realistic assessment of the situation. There are a lot of unanswered questions that Jalen Johnson is going to have to go through in the pre-draft process. And I'd advise that he takes those questions very seriously because teams have a lot of real uh, answers that they need to feel comfortable with him right now. Don't think he gets out of the first round. 15 to 30 was kind of what I had in my head. I know 11 to 35 is very similar. Yeah. Don't see lottery. Don't see getting out of the first round unless the intel behind the scenes is, is actually worse than we thought, which maybe may not be depending on what he says and what the, what the answers are. Um, but not, it, it's, it's crazy too, because I think you had him the first time we talked at like 17 or something. Yeah. It's kind of like ended up back there. Like we've, we've got back to our start. I'm telling you, man, like <laughs> I've, I had some concerns, but now I'm like, okay, like I built those concerns in already. Every people are gonna like fall way off, and I'm just gonna be like, no, this is about this is about it, right? This is about well, the, the, the thing we laughed about too is, and this happens all the time. It's like you had 17, and then he opened up with with like a monster game against Coppin State. It's like uh, I gotta move him up. I gotta flip him and like DJ Stewart or or whatever. And then it's like, well, maybe just kind of let him stay there and and let everything else shake itself out. Okay, 
let's take a quick commercial break and then we're going to talk about uh, a couple of guys that uh, we need to we need to have a quick discussion on. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP hackers and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot-blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash gametheory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash gametheory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash gametheory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash gametheory. Okay, so we're back. Jason Concepcion on Twitter just tweeted out a article with the headline, "Did you ever watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Penny?" <laughs> I know what they're they're hitting on right now. I think Buffy the Vampire Slayer was on USA. It was on right? uh UPN, if I remember. U- it was on UPN. Which- it was I think it was on right before WWF SmackDown, so I'd watch like the last like 2 minutes of it, I think. If we're yeah. being honest here, and the trust tree. This this headline is Buffy Star won't comment on Joss Whedon until surgery for penis paralysis is complete. <laughs> he he rarely misses on Twitter. Jason really does. It's unbelievable. What a left turn that took. I was not no, anticipating that. It, no, it's like that. incredible. All from yeah. like all walks of life too. No, it's it's the absolute best. Um, okay, we want to talk about Sharif Cooper. So. Sharif Cooper started on fire, looked like a potential lottery pick. Sharif Cooper since then has come back down to earth. He's still posting a 52 52 assist rate, which is great. Uh, 
still averaging a bunch of points still looks like the ball's on a string and that he's in complete control of everything every single time that he's on the court but the size concerns are starting to creep up a little bit so in the games uh recently that he's played against kentucky 14 points on six of 23 from the field eight assists six turnovers against vanderbilt he was great but vanderbilt is not very good uh he had 19 points seven assists zero turnovers against mississippi he had 15 points on four of 13 from the field, 14 assists, six turnovers. Georgia, again, a team that is not very good, 19 points on 10 shots, nine assists, four turnovers. And then Baylor, like the last reasonable team they played prior to Kentucky in terms of athleticism and the way that they play, 15 points, six of 17 from the field, five assists, four turnovers. So what do we do with Sharif Cooper at this point? Because I feel like it's a very difficult, he remains a difficult player to evaluate. First, we've got to give him his credit and give him his flowers, as people would say, because like we make excuses or, or reasons for all these prospects adjusting, they're sitting out, they're not playing for our fans, and justifiably so. But he laced them up in his first game, he put up 26-9-4. He's still averaging 29-4 and four for the year. And he's a gamer, plain and simple. But the kind of feedback I'm starting to gut from NBA guys is more of that kind of like mid to late first and not top 10. Like yep. some mock drafts had, I think we had them like 11. It's just the fear of drafting a small guard in the lottery that maybe he is best suited as a, a change of pace backup. And that's not a knock by any means, but when you shoot 25% from three, there are some size questions. You're 38% of the field. Maybe you are more of a, a volume guy. There's just more questions now than there were those first couple of games when he rolled out and everyone's like, oh man, like we have the second round. If we don't have him in the top 10, like we're going to look foolish. Right. Yeah. I think that frankly, even we probably overreacted a little bit to what Sharif Cooper was doing. Uh, I do think he's a first round pick still. The talent is still there. Uh, he is like a very gifted ball handler and a very gifted live dribble passer, but we just, he needs to score. Like there needs to be the threat of a scoring option at some point. And he's just very small right now. And that's going to be very tricky, uh, for him to find a way to score efficiently without the jump shot. Uh, he is shooting 82% from the free throw line. I guess you can say that there's some natural touch there. I think there is, but uh, it's really hard to play at that size in the NBA. It's really, really hard. And with the jump shot mechanics too, the way he kind of shoots, he like leans back a little bit. Like that's just a tough shot to have from distance. And and he's shooting this from college three too. Like he's not even shooting this from NBA three, which will be a little bit longer out there. And, and guys are going to dare him to shoot. I mean, even that Vanderbilt game where he played well, which you referenced, he was one for three from three, if I'm not mistaken. He was two for eight versus Kentucky. He was three for eight versus Ole Miss. So he, he has kind of his shooting lulls i guess but it hasn't been consistent enough to be like you know what there it is he's just got to do it a little bit more maybe he's he's tired from having the ball in his hands every single play yep i just haven't been able to get on board totally on the shooting stuff i i I do think it's crazy when people say he's going to be out of the first round i don't see that at all but i wouldn't bet on top 10 right now but the question also becomes okay so if he's not 10 or 11 who is it because we've done the thing of okay I have to put him in front of this player. I can't put him behind this guy. I don't think there's like a ton of guys knocking on the door right now being like, I'm 10, you're maybe 11, maybe you're 14. Like James Booknight just came back tonight and had 18 points and 
it's like, oh yeah, this guy, he's, he's really good. Like he's going to be right there in the mix. Like where does a guy like that slot in? So uh, there's still a fluid situation, but we're also running out of time here of games and they're not eligible for the tournament. So like the, the window's closing for us to have a, a full view of what this could look like. Yeah. I'm glad that you brought up book Knight Cause I do want to talk about him in a second. Uh, I really do think that Sharif just kind of is who he is. You know what I mean? Like he's small. It's going to be tricky for him to make it work. He might be so good that it just does work because he is like immediately yeah. going to be a he's going to be a top 20 passer in the NBA from like day one. He is that good as a live dribble ball handler and passer. He can open up angles. He can hit basically everyone. He's going to play in the NBA for a while because of that. But to be a starting guard, you have to have the threat of being able to score and i just don't see that yet and he's still really bad on defense like really abominably bad on defense um n- not really even an excuse for how bad he is on defense like and, uh, and they, we'll get cracked with screens and the, the, the games would be harder for that end for him on that end in the nba too because you have bigger stronger guys who are hitting you every single possession and then you're like shaking that off while you're dribbling down the other end of the court like it's not right. going to be just okay you can take a player two off like Coaches are just going to yank you. Like you won't, you won't stay on the floor. There's, there's too many good veteran guys behind there who are going to dig in, play defense on the second unit, and then just set the table for shooters in the corners. Or you have a wing that's cutting to the basket. Like you don't necessarily need like the crazy live dribble passing stuff. And I love his passing. Like he, he's an unbelievable watch. When I'm making my schedule for the week of of who to see, like I always have Arbert on there because he is must see TV for me. But the translatable stuff is just getting a little bit shaky. I mean, the guy that I feel like is starting at Auburn to get a push is JT Thor. Like, I yeah. think, I don't think he's a 2021 guy, but if you told me he goes in the top 20 in 2022, I don't think I'd be surprised. I, I just don't think that you well, can take him. The jumper is like falling a little bit. Yeah. I don't know if you can take him there quite yet. Cause I think that the risk factor is still very high for him. Um, just in terms of his feel for the game, like he's just kind of running around out there right now. Doesn't read passing lanes on either end all that well, I don't think. Um, doesn't really see what's available. Every pass is an escape pass, but super athlete at six foot 10 can shoot it, uh, has real defensive potential. It, like if he can continue to get uh to get that experience under him because like i don't even think he started playing basketball like in eighth or ninth grade right like it was it was late right yeah it was, it was later and, and then also he's kind of well traveled in high school bounced around a little bit and then it was thought that he might end up at oklahoma state and then it was like auburn late there were some whispers about maybe he goes pro I'm, I'm glad he ended up at auburn and can develop a little bit there because we've seen yep him even add to his skill set this season like you said he, he's running around but it's like it's a little bit more structured running around if that makes sense like he's starting to figure it out like a little bit and, and he hit I'm trying to think what game it was i was watching but he hit two jumpers i think almost back to back from like that left elbow from three and the release looked good the form looked good and it went in it was like okay well if he can do this and run around and block shots and do like a little bit off the dribble that's intriguing for somebody his size and, and still new to the game of basketball in the 20s maybe in a year yeah it's he's gonna be a fun one to track for a little while i think because he's really really talented um and then like and and you hope he stays there too because jabari smith's coming in next year who's a a top five national prospect who will be at auburn so it's like all right you have those two guys alan flanagan's built a little bit of buzz like it's another exciting team to watch yeah i'm i'm excited to see where auburn goes over the course of the next couple years plus like 
I, I would imagine, and like this is not me reporting this for the love of God, do not aggregate this. Um, but they have Thor, they have Jabari Smith, Jalen Williams exists, Devin Cambridge exists. Um, they have the Akingbola guy who's young as well. Yep, shot blocker. Yep. I would imagine we're going to see some roster turnover there, like via the transfer Ooh. portal, right? In a good way, like like positive or negative? People coming in or going out? What's your guess? Probably going out, because I would imagine oh, that okay. like some of these guys want playing time, and Jabari Smith is going to play 30 minutes a night next year. And JT he Thor should, is going to yeah. play 30 minutes a night next year. So where do those minutes come from, right? Yeah, I mean, the, uh, unfortunately, like they kind of got snake bitten. It was talked about on the the broadcast too with Davion Mitchell was there. It's like kind of like right. become this fun fact. Like he was at Auburn. He looked around. He's like, all right, this team's pretty good, but I'm not going to play much. I'm going to go over here, and it worked out for both. I mean, Auburn, I think, was in the Final Four, right? And now Davion Mitchell is in the first round conversation, one of the better defenders in the country for a team that's one or two, and hopefully can play the final four. So it, it rarely doesn't like work for both parties and it did, but yeah, Auburn's kind of gone through this a little bit in the past because of a log jam for playing time. Yeah. Like Davion Mitchell was freshman. Didn't get much of an opportunity at Auburn. He was behind uh, at that point, Mustafa Heron, uh, Jared Harper, Bryce Brown, Bryce Brown. Yeah. But they had also brought in Samir Doughty, Samir Doughty yeah, yeah. who had transferred and had to sit out. So that doesn't look good in hindsight, obviously, for Auburn, uh, that Davion Mitchell's got a shot to be a top 35 pick in this draft. And Jared Harper, Bryce Brown, and Samir Doughty ended up being the reason that he departed. But, you know, like like you said, like it worked. They went to a Final Four. They uh, played an incredibly tight game against Virginia that was super fun to be at. Like they really could have been damn close to a national title that year and it just didn't happen. So yeah, yeah. you're a foul, a travel away that you'll probably live out forever. If you're crazy and can't get out of your head like me from, from being in that situation. Yeah. Um, James Booknight is back. I kind of just love watching James Booknight and I'm so glad that we get to see him just like sky over everyone and dunk again. Yeah. It was like the first highlight I saw. I, I knew they were playing Providence. The Celtics were on the background. I'm not going to lie to you there. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, they're playing now. So I, I put it on. I watched about 10 minutes before we started here. And I'll watch the rest tomorrow morning. But just the, the small stuff, I, I saw the dunk. And then it's another play. There's like a high ball screen. He came off to the left, got into the paint, finished with his right a little bit through contact. He didn't show any trepidation or hesitation going into lane that he made because of, what was it, the elbow injury? Shoulder, elbow? Uh, elbow. Elbow. Yeah, it's like he didn't pull back when it was through contact, and I'm, I'm glad he's playing. It's another guy that we want to see more, and he had that huge game against Creighton, and you hope that we kind of – I mean, I think UConn's now 10-5, and five, so you'll be seeing more basketball out of them too. Uh, did you watch the Oklahoma State game earlier, by the way? Uh, again, I didn't because in this crazy season, I think they played at like 4 o'clock. So like I yeah. got home and I looked at the box score, I was like, oh. That's right. They played Iowa State. I know they won by 20, and Cade had like 21, 7, and 6, and five turnovers. We'll talk about the Cade turnover some other time. Yeah. Uh, but it seemed like they put it together. Yeah, it was a really good Cade game. Um, probably the best passing game I've seen from him this year. So uh, if, if you get a chance, I would suggest you check that one out. Um, I think that's about all I've got before we get to the Ignite. 
and the ignite's super fun i enjoy watching these guys play i think that the smartest thing that the g league did was put those players with real live veterans like jared jack Dante Hall got a cup of coffee in the NBA last year. Um, Brandon Ashley is like a really smart veteran presence, right? Giving those guys the opportunity to play with smart people who have played in the G League for a long time, I think was so great on behalf of the guys who put this team together. Yeah, I mean, the most surprising takeaway for me is that they're 4-0. Like, we we did our, our G League preview and we're like, maybe a win. Like, let's see what happens. Yeah, they're 4-0 and they have whatever, 11 games left to play. Yeah, I, I think we really underestimated how good some of these vets were going to be. Like, I, well, at least I, mean, I certainly Jared, did. Jared, Jared Jack might be the best prospect. He's shooting 62% from three. He's eight for yeah. 13. Like, if his feet set, he doesn't miss. Like, he yeah. didn't stand that corner, and Dejan Nix is like, I gotcha. And he just, like, knocks it down. Like, he had a four-point play the other day. I'm surprised if he, like, hits the rim. You said yeah. it, too. Dante Hall's had some good minutes. Uh with the veterans, though, so the the fourth game, the one that just happened yes yesterday, yesterday yep. afternoon, they played more through the post, though. They did like some Dante Hall, Jesse Govan, like high low stuff. I'm like, oh, this is this is like them winning games right now. And then they switched and they did some horn sets. They had coming in one corner and Jalen Green in another, allowed them to make some reads. But they're showing different stuff and different action, and that's been fun from an evaluation standpoint too. Yeah, no question. Uh do we have any additional thoughts on Kuminga? I, I don't. He looks great. Uh, I think he's really good at basketball. <laughs> yeah, good, good scout. A just better passer than advertised. 3.3 assists per game. Even if it's just a simple pass to the high post, he seems okay not to force it when he didn't get touches, which used to be like a problem. Like, okay, I haven't shot for three possessions. This one's going up. He had one drive yesterday where he, he drove baseline. He got bumped. He didn't force. He kind of pump faked and, and found a cutter down the hall for a basket. Next play, he rotated and helped Jared Jack and blocked the shot. He's just all over the place. You want him to slow down a little bit. He did get called for one charge there. But the defense stuff has, has been further along than I anticipated to. Just altering shots at the rim. There was one possession in the fourth quarter where he fronted the post. He stole it. He took a full court and hit somebody for a foul. Like, if you're able to do that, like, forget about it. Lock it in for a top three, four pick right now. Yeah, Kaminga, uh, I'm really glad that you brought up like the overall parts of his game. He's been much better as a passer, like you said. Uh, even the thing that impressed me yesterday was he went three of 13 from the field, <laughs> 0 of five from three, clearly didn't have it on offense, right? And he still tried to make shit happen. Uh, he was really good defensively. That was his best defensive game, I thought of this little G league bubble. He made an impact in a big way with his help side defense and on ball defense. So I love it so much that he's really put an emphasis on that. Um, Jalen green uh, had a couple of big games over the course of the early portion of this week and weekend. He seems to be settling in just fine and, and looks like he's potentially going to enter that top tier with the rest of these guys I, I don't see a world where he gets out of like the top six top five at this point he's moving so much more confidently too you can see it just the way he's kind of carrying himself like his his feet are under him he, he's jumping around he's using that athleticism he's always a lob threat he caught one early in like the second game and it's like okay he kind of like woke up now passing a little bit better he hit a pull up three off a of bounce and pick and roll uh, similar to the third game where he came off a high ball screen for like a 16 foot pull up. My only like little nitpicky thing is I'm just a little concerned about 
the longer the shot, the lower the release point can be at times. Though he doesn't, he does still finish like high with the follow through, and he's six for seventeen at thirty five percent, which is respectable because when you have a first step that quick, guys are gonna have to close out and, and kind of pick your poison for what to do there. But everything overall looks better, tighter. He's still a combo guard to me. I, I'm not in the the camp that thinks he's a, a point guard, a lead guard, two assists to almost three and a half turnovers a game, but he's really responded since that first game where there were some question marks about like, okay, like this isn't the guy that we signed up that was going to be a, a top three talent. So let's move to Dacian Nix. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's do it. Dacian Nix looks good. Looks good. about yes. as good as what we could hope. Right. Yes. Uh, has had a couple of really good passing games. Uh, it's funny. You texted me immediately after we podcasted last time and you were like Andre Miller. And then I had an NBA executive also texting me the same thing is like, yeah. comparison, <laughs> I right? two or three. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know. Like, I, I, it's hard. Like, I don't remember young Andre Miller. So like, it's hard for me to say, uh, that Andre makes sense to me, but I, I will default to, um, default to this NBA executive's expertise on this, because I think that uh, late career Andre Miller used his body in this in a very yes. similar way to what Dacian Nix does. Yeah, it's hard for me to, I'm trying to like remember too, like the, the Andre Miller days of, of college, which yeah, I mean, it was with Penny, even you Utah aren't team, that right? old. Like you oh, aren't man, that I'm old, old, man. They, they're, they're what, like 97-ish? Yeah, I think I think so. But I don't remember, like, okay, what was their post moves versus Marcus Camby's? I couldn't tell you that. Uh, with Dejan, he was much better in games two through four. I mean, he, he was bad the first game. Not being bad the first game, but just okay. And he said, I saw the quote, and the G League posted something where he said that he prayed and meditated after his first bad game. And then he came out his 19th birthday at 25 points. He looked like a different player. Also eight rebounds, six assists. Including one really good drive to the lane where three guys collapsed and he kind of like jumped and kicked it opposite to Jared Jack for a corner three and Jared Jack doesn't miss. So that looked good. The vision stands out. He, he loves that like Steve Nash overdrive to the corners. He's yeah. able to get in the lane and, and spray it a little bit. And I'd argue that his passing and ball movement was the difference maker the last three minutes of the game, even when it wasn't assist uh, yesterday when they did win. Four and a half assists to two and a half turnovers. He's up to 46% from three, which is only five of 11. So a little bit better. We're probably a little too hard on him after the first game. But another guy where I just want to see, like, okay, if he's Andre Miller light, what does that shake out draft wise? So if we're talking late first, okay, is it Dejan Nick, Sharif Cooper if he gets there, or Davion Mitchell? Like, those are the type of conversations which will probably be had. Okay, the last guy is Isaiah Todd here. Um, so Isaiah Todd is taking a lot of shots. I feel like every time he touches it, he's shooting. Um, he's had one good game. Like he had one like 12 point seven rebound game that people got excited about. I think he's been like not very good, to be honest, this whole time that he's been there. Like the team is substantially worse when he's on the court. Um, where are you at on Isaiah Todd before I... Yeah, better. I mean, you you caught some grief, some flack for saying, like, a sentence about all the players and said Isaiah Todd got up some shots. And I don't think it was meant to be, like, a dig, but a lot of people it, took it as a dig. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. Like, I, I should have... dig, like a half a dig. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't mean it, like, that meanly. Um, the fact that you can get up shots in the G League is good. Let's go with that. <laughs> no, it, it is. I mean, there, there's yeah. plenty of, of good NBA guys in the bubble. If anything, is a good reminder of how, 
how good fringe NBA players are or rookies are when Vernon Carey is averaging 25 a game, Jordan Poole is 25 a game, Paul Reed 25 a game, Miles Powell 23 a game, like Malachi Flynn 21 a game. There's a lot of guys that are are rookies or, or just right there that are, are putting up numbers and you forget that they're not getting even rotational minutes in the NBA. That being said, for Isaiah Todd, he's clearly much more comfortable as a shooter, not as a, a post finishing around the rim. I mean, he had that little short mid-post turnaround jumper yesterday on back-to-back possessions where he hit him, and then he also airballs a three. Uh, had some nice post feeds for baskets, but then also got cooked on a back door for Canyon Barry to start the second quarter. Sometimes can sleep on defense. The numbers are a little bit better, I think, than the tape at eight and a half a game, five rebounds. Shooting 50% from three at six for 12. But, uh, yeah, it's just, it's not a... The best A to B fit of, okay, he's a shooter, but doesn't really want to go to the post. He's averaging 0.3 blocks per game. How does he find his way onto an NBA floor? So this is where we get into like very small sample advanced numbers, but like this number is just so, this is what I feel like when I watch him, like the actual tape as well. Uh, when I say that they look so much worse when he's out on the court, um, when Isaiah Todd is on the court, they their offensive rating is 89.2 and their defensive rating is 104.9. So they are a this is a team that is 4 and 0, has an overall net rating of 6.4. When Isaiah Todd is on the court, they have a net rating of negative 15.2 points per 100. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was waiting for you to get to it. It's like explain this to me like I'm an idiot. Like what do these numbers mean? Yeah, that that's a tie to it. Uh no player, so they've had nine guys that have played at least 50 minutes, right? They're playing basically a nine-man rotation. No other player has a negative net rating, even. No no other player has a negative net rating on this roster than Isaiah Todd. And Isaiah Todd's is negative 15.2. Yeah, it's dark. Yeah. Um, it, it's, uh, it, it's bad. Um, they, their assist rate drops when he's on the court. They turn the ball over more when he's on the court. Their defense is way worse when he's on the court. Um, it, it's, it's not good. Uh, their overall performance is pretty bad. Now, I will say, in general, I am more enthused about his overall skill set than I was coming in. It's just that, like, I think his jump shots further along. Um, he's made a couple of nice rotations defensively, but I, I think that, like, People searching for highlights are going to make him look a lot better than what he does right now, unfortunately. Um, his, his overall performance is not great, which sucks. What, what, what's been your feedback from NBA scouts? I, I, I feel a lot of them are kind of similar. I, I had one that said they might actually have him ahead of Dacia Nix, potentially, for kind of like their depth chart of one through four of these guys here. Has there been any optimism, I guess, that like, okay, this is a guy who's 6'10", He's still young. He can yeah. shoot a little bit, has a decent touch. If you watch the games, the clips, when he does have drives, like he can beat his man a little bit, but his problem is he gets bumped. They can't really finish through contact. Is yeah. there any incentive for taking a guy like that, knowing you can put some weight on him, a little bit on his base, a little bit up top, and maybe he's finishing those around the rim at a higher clip? Yeah. NBA scouts, some of them tend to be a bit more, um, hey, we can work with this. Like, we can figure out how to make some of these skills work. Um, I'd, one, compare some of this to, like, the situation with Scalabissier, though. Um, oh, that one's close where, to my heart, yeah. Where, where it's just like, 
people want him to succeed, but how do you make this skill set? And like, there's going to be people who are super excited about it and think they can make it work. But how does the skill set actually work? Like in this is bad English, but actuality in the NBA, right? It's good English. Yeah. Look, Scal was probably my biggest evaluation miss ever. I'd say because he, yeah. he came to Reebok camp and he was six eleven. He hadn't played that high school year because of transfer rules or whatever. Yep. So he's rusty, but he, he played well. And it's like, man, this kid can shoot. He can put it on the floor a little bit. He defends. He blocks shots. He has this incredible story about surviving this earthquake in his hometown. And he's putting all the pieces together. And then he goes to, I think it was the Nike Hoop Summit and outplays Carl Towns. And then everyone was like, wow, like this kid might be the best player in the country. Just lackluster at Kentucky. And I think that's probably giving a little bit too much credit. I thought that he'd put together pieces together in NBA had a few good games here and there, I think, for the Kings, and then has just been sort of a journey, man. And he's back in the G League bubble now, if I'm not mistaken. Well, and guys like that tend to have real skills, but they don't have the glue that like holds their game together with like the feel for the game. And that's always yeah. been the Isaiah Todd thing, right? So I, I think that that's where that person was coming from. I think that the op- like I have gotten like a little bit of optimism regarding Todd, but I think it's more that expectations were lower than. They were for the other guys, right? So yeah. no, the the glue is the good piece. That that makes a lot of sense. Like you have the pieces, but it doesn't all bind together, if you will. Yeah, like the teams. Everyone wants Isaiah Todd to succeed. Like we we would like to see him be good, and I think that the NBA certainly has a great incentive to see Isaiah Todd be successful um, with this program. And frankly, the fact that like I'm at least like somewhat interested in Isaiah Todd now. Um, after not being interested at all after in him coming out of high school, probably says a lot about this program, right? Like it, to me, like it's a real positive. Uh, no, like, I, I love it. It's, it's different basketball to watch. It, it's also, and and this is just from watching a lot of college basketball, but you, you get kind of this fatigue of like the same teams playing over and over again in conference play. It's like, didn't I watch this game? Like, yeah, I did like three weeks ago. Right. They're playing again. So now when they're rolling out and they're playing, all right, here's the Santa Cruz Warriors and here's the Oklahoma City Raptors 905. And it's that game of like, oh, that guy was there. That makes sense. He, he was pretty good. Okay. That's a rookie. That's Malachi Flynn. The, like there was a game the other night, Malachi Flynn versus Nico Mannion. It's like, all right, well, that's kind of what we thought some of these pre-draft workouts were looking like or would have looked like under a normal draft cycle to see the G League guys with a couple of veterans peppered in. Like it, it has been fun to watch and. It's fast and furious. I mean, they played like three games in four days. They they run off another string of like back to backs on Wednesday and Thursday. Like they play tomorrow at three p.m. It's just a different avenue of basketball to watch, which which has been good. So like Oklahoma City is playing Fort Wayne right now. Antonius Cleveland was a first team All Missouri Valley, if I remember correctly. Xavier Simpson was All Big Ten. Uh, Melvin Frazier was all AAC and might, it was all defense in that league for sure. Jalen Horde was a five-star recruit. Ryan Woolridge was the point guard for a great Gonzaga team. And Vince Edwards was definitely all Big Ten. And Phil Booth was all Big East. Those are the guys that the Oklahoma City Blue, like, only sort of kind of care about on their roster. On the other team, Fort Wayne, uh, we've got Daxter Miles Jr., who I think was all Big 12, Naz Mitru Long, who's definitely all Big 12. Uh, let's see here. Jakeen and Gant, who I think was all so, was it SoCon, maybe? Um, mm-hmm. 
And then Quincy McKnight, like, hasn't played at all in this game, like, can't get off the bench. And Quincy McKnight was, like, all Big East unbelievable last year for uh, Seton Hall. And those are the guys that, like, Fort Wayne sort of kind of, like, the Indiana Pacers sort of kind of care about their development, but not really. um, Because they don't have their official rights. The level of play in the G League is so much higher (laughs) than college basketball. Like, it's not even fathomable on a player-by-player basis. Elite players like Jonathan Kaminga and Jalen Green can come in and be great because they are just the absolutely elite of the elite. But, like, Dacian Nix is, like, kind of a guy out there. You know what I mean? Right. Like, he's not. Just turned 19. Right. 19 years old playing against these seasoned college seniors who are all league, all conference, can't quite make in the NBA. They're fighting, clawing to get there. And then you have this G League Ignite team roll up with some veterans, with four young kids, and more than hold their own at 4-0. And Dacia Nix was the best point guard in his recruiting class. And he's just, like, fine in the G League. And that's, by the way, a testament to Dacia Nix. I I don't mean that as a slight at him at all. That is a testament to how good these guys are in the G League. And where I think our expectations need to be when we watch these guys play in the G League, when we watch these Jalen Greens and Jonathan Kamingas and Dacian Nixes, they're playing not just like good college players and like good high school players. They are playing the elite of the elite college basketball players that are fighting for money, let alone like trying to like make it work. Like they, they are fighting for their jobs. Uh, yeah, it, it, they're kind of like these rosters. If you know, like the Final Four, they have that like Reese's Cup, like senior All Star game. It's like one of those teams, like every night. Plus, oh yeah, here's a an NBA veteran that's 35 that's trying to come back and figure it out. Plus, and, and there hasn't been like and okay. plus plus the NBA is dangling like two way contracts and four hundred thousand dollars <laughs> yeah. in front of yeah. you if you can perform and ball out. Like Chase on Randall just got signed by the Orlando Magic. Like I don't know why. Like I was. Like, it's funny, like, I was texting someone, and, like, after this happened, I was like, I don't know why Chase on Randall is in the G League bubble right now. Uh, he should probably be overseas in Europe, but he nailed it. Like, he knew what his skill level was, and is <laughs> well, going to get real like, money now. Yeah, and they also have kind of this, like, weird penalty box of, like, 20 guys, like, in the bubble, like, ready to go to be called up to. Like, that's how how much opportunity that they still view of, like, you're in the bubble, like, maybe you get that two-way, and you get paid. And, and teams are going to need bodies because I mean, we, we just saw it with, with the Spurs. Like, they had four positive COVID cases, and they've canceled a few games. Like, you might need a guy or two to, to step up. And if you're able to go in the bubble and perform and maybe do it against 19-year-olds, like, that'll stand out. Yeah. who I'm trying to find the list of the G League backup options, basically. Um, it's It's like... Well, Isaiah Briscoe was, but he already got pulled up. I know that. Yeah, like, they're... There are a lot of like really good players on that list who like aren't even on a roster right now. Right. right. It's kind of crazy to see this. So I, I love these G League games so much. I mean, it's like extremely my shit, but like I love these G League games so, so much and I'm so excited by them. Um, Penny, uh, that's all I've got basketball wise. Have you started watching The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel yet on Netflix? <laughs> no, not yet. Judas and the Black Messiah was, uh, was, was the last viewing, but no, no vanishing yet. Yeah. The, the vanishing of, um, by the what way, Judas, that on? it's on Netflix. Um, okay. The th- and like, it's hard to talk about this because, uh, the subject matter is very serious. Like a girl goes missing and gets found dead. 
is the premise of it. it so like you don't want to make light of it but whole, like there are parts of this documentary that are like laugh out loud funny because of uh, not because of the story but because of like how bad it is like there's a there's an episode where they turn it over to the youtubers to start throwing out theories and you're just like uh, what what were what were the filmmakers thinking here when they decided to make this four wait. episodes and one of them are the, is the YouTuber episode. <laughs> hey, hey, man, like, Don't F With Cats was the same exact way. And there was yeah, as bad and, and gnarly as some of that stuff was, like, the YouTubers kind of cracked the case. Like, oh. social media, like, won that day. Oh, no, Don't Fuck With Cats is exceptional. And all of those people are exceptional. We're dealing with a lesser group in this one. <laughs> so, like, three steps below. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was, it's I all was just, impressed because the YouTubers there, it's like, you can't, you really can't get away with anything anymore. Like somebody's going to find you, geo track you. The rug has like this design, which is only this country. And I'm, I'm watching this thing. I'm like, I don't know how, how people are this smart or have this much wherewithal to put time into figuring this out, but they did. Well, we put time into figuring out, you know, does Very this guy's, yeah. does this yeah, guy's yeah. jump shot, uh, have a slight thumb input on it (laughs) does he look like andre miller now or andre miller 16 years ago like yeah we're messed up too different levels of messed up i I feel like they're just putting their shit towards something productive um yeah but yeah this this vanishing at the cecil hotel i should have listened to stucky shout out to stucky um for people at action network you know gambling expert stucky um he told me not to watch it and i didn't listen to him by the way this thing is called crime scene the vanishing at the cecil hotel and as someone that's like around my age i'm assuming you've seen forgetting sarah marshall oh yeah when when they when they break away to it and when they have it after the movie too yeah and it's literally called cfsi spinoff yeah yeah it's literally called crime scene scene of the crime and i can't stop laughing that netflix decided it's a good idea to call this thing crime scene and make a documentary this bad and think that it wouldn't get made fun of uh for being this bad and for its reference to crime scene scene of the crime from forgetting <laughs> well, you're, you're talking about it here so it did its job oh my god uh penny tell the people where they can find your work i'm on twitter matt underscore penny we're here for uh we're here for laughs we'll be back soon okay uh i have my big nba prospect ranking series coming this week and next week i'm also working through my top 100 draft rankings that'll be out late next week Keep it locked at The Athletic. You're going to have a shit ton of great content. Please subscribe. Keep me employed over there. That would be fantastic, to be honest. Um, but until next time, we will uh, we will talk soon. Bye.